Well, let's turn in our Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to go to verse number 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. We're in a series, and this is my last message in the series, Resident God. Resident God. What does that mean? It's the realization that God is living in us. As born-again believers, God is living in us. I pray that we have uh, understanding. The Bible calls it revelation. There's some things about God you cannot approach. Listen to what I'm saying. There's some truth about God that you and I cannot understand with our natural mind. I want to try that again. There's some truths about God that we cannot apprehend and access by our natural thinking. It's too big for us. It's too great for us. The Bible calls that revelation. There are some things we only understand by the Holy Spirit. There are some things that pass our human cap- capability and have to become reality in our spirit first, and then our minds grasp the understanding. Now, see, that challenges a lot of people in our culture today because we don't want to think anybody's bigger than we are. In our culture, we don't want to think any, any absolute is, is bigger than mine. So, so we practice what's called situational ethics. In our culture today, we don't want anybody to be God. As, as little three-year-olds learn to say, you're not the boss of me. And so what we thought is intellectualism is really false intellectualism. Because the highest knowledge on this planet is not what comes out of a human mind, but what comes from the heart of God. And so the fact that God can do something above my intellect is not a challenge to me, but it's a blessing to me. How many are on track with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? There's truth that does not come only by human ability. It comes through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. We cannot fully comprehend the greatness of God living in us unless the Holy Spirit helps us come to that place. The resident God, God living in us, dwelling in us. Uh, we're never away from him. How many are thankful? We're never far from him. When we walk through a crisis like uh, our Stewart family were praying yesterday, the shock, the, the absolute shock of that moment is so overwhelming. But this is what I know. Underneath the roar of my emotions is the truth of my God in my spirit. And if I hang in there, that's going to begin to rise to the top. How many understand that? The resident God with us in every moment. See, in the old covenant, David had a hunger to have what you and I have. Listen to me. David said this, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. Now, this is the king. Come on, how many hear what I'm saying? Who sits on a throne and wears a golden crown and conquered the armies of his known world. And he said, if you give me my choice, I'd rather keep the door. I'd rather be the usher in the temple than sit on the throne of greatness on this earth. See, he wanted God. He wanted what you have every day. See, as as we move forward, the disciples who walked with Jesus right by their side, he told them, there's something that's going to be better for you than this here. And they said, Lord, what, what could that be? It's a resident God. See, this is how great this is. Jesus said of John the Baptist, there has never been one born of woman greater than he. Did you get that? Never has anyone been born of woman that is greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the least of those in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Did you understand that statement? The greatest prophet that ever walked the face of this planet 
before the experience of being born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit could not compare to what you and I access every day of our life. That's what Jesus said. That's an overwhelming, awe-inspiring truth that we need not take for granted. The resident God lives in us. What does that mean? Well, it means that he heals us. He puts us back together again. We, he delivers us. He, he's our comforter. He's our counselor. He's our guide, our strength. But he is also, I want you to get this. This is what we're learning in these last couple of weeks. And I, I, I want to try to form and shape in front of you today that not only does this great God live in us, he wants to live through us. How many heard what I just said? It's not just for me. How many understand that? Come on, tell the person next to you. And when I ask you to do that, I don't do it all the time, but I really mean it. So tell the person next to you, he wants to live through you. Come on, tell them that. He wants to live through you. So what does that look like? Let's, let's unpack this. What does this look like? How, how does God live through us? How many are just ordinary, regular, North Alabama human beings? Let me see your hand. And, and, and I think our struggle, there's some aliens in the room. I won't embarrass you, but okay, maybe you're not, not North Alabama. Maybe that was it. So let me back up and try one more time. How many human beings are in the room today? Okay, all right. Most of us, all right. There are still a few aliens, but we love you and we welcome you. Is that what they do? Peace from our planet. We're, may the Lord be with you if you're here from other places. All right. So here, here's what I want you to know is that what does this look like for God to live in me and God to live through me? Well, the Bible uses this reference, we're the body of Christ. I shared that with you last week. We're the vehicle in which he lives and through which he operates. We're his body. Just like his earthly body over 2,000 years ago allowed him to step on the planet and bring heaven to earth. Thou, thou, thou will be done on earth as it in he, is in heaven. That came as Christ lived in this physical body. And in this time, in the church day, since he died on a cross, rose from the dead, and ascended back to the Father, and the Holy Spirit descended, we are now collectively the body of Christ to do the same thing his first earthly body did. We are to re-present him. Re-present him. Not some of what he did, not some of who he is, but all that he was is to be experienced through his church. He wants to live through us, this resident God. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 20. We read here the picture. How does God live through us? The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts and though all its parts are many, they form one body. We understand that about this physical body. So he says, to understand what I want to do, think about the body I created, okay? So it is, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by, with, or in one spirit uh, into one body. So the Holy Spirit, as we were born again, took us and placed us into the body of Christ, all right? He says, whether Jews or Greeks, it doesn't matter your ethnicity, or your faith. Everybody with me? Whether we're slave or free, it doesn't matter your socioeconomic level in life. We become one by the work of God when we become part of the body of Christ. We were all given the same spirit to drink, the one spirit. Verse 14. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. 
If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Look at this verse. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body Every one of them just as he wanted them to be. Do you understand diversity is the plan of God? Do you realize that if everybody in the church you attend looks just like you, acts just like you, thinks just like you, eats what you eat, likes the team you like, has the same politics you have. If we are identical, we're not diverse. If everybody just like me, we're a very narrow picture of Jesus. That got your attention, didn't it? In fact, we should stop. We measure church the wrong way. I hear people sometimes say, I go to, why do you go to that church? Because everything they do there is just the way I like it. Well, that church is no bigger than you are then. So what happens is God puts us together. See, see, we, we get it. I, we, we, we don't get it. I hear people say this. Well, I want to go to church, and they say, so he says, look at this. He says, what if every part of the body were an eye? He said, where would the sense of hearing be? So think of this. Sometimes churches get mixed up, and, and, and they, they just play on one string and brag about it. We're the church of the eyeball. First church of the eyeball. We see better than any church around us. Nobody sees like we see. And if you're not an eye, you're probably not going to like it here. Because we're the eyeball church. We're the first church of the eyeball. Well, here's the deal with that. You may see the bomb coming before anybody else sees it coming. But because you don't have any legs on your body. You're just a big old ugly target. And if it was coming from another direction because you're bragging on your eyeball, we're the church of the eyeball. No church is as holy as we are. Because we see what no one sees. But you hadn't got any ears on the side of your eyeball. And the devil's running up behind you. He's about to smack you down. Now the church that has some ears might have heard that before he got them. And the church that had some feet might have got out of the way. Or let's, do, let's look at it another way. We're the church of the eyeball. We see all the problems in our community. You know, you might become a little critical and judgmental. Because we see what nobody else sees. You know, and if people come into church doors, mm, I see something about him. I'm not sure she belongs in this church because I see. Don't you didn't fool me? I see, I see, I see, I see. So you see everything, but you need some feet and hands to go bless what you see and feed what you see and care what you see and talk to what you see. You understand that diversity is the design of God. Because we are better together than we are by ourselves. And we need to understand that diversity is not something we tolerate. It's what we celebrate. Diversity makes every one of us better. You do something I can't do. 
I do something you can't do. But if you put us together, we do what Jesus did. And so the world doesn't need to see the eyeball of Jesus. That's kind of creepy. Sounds like a bee monster movie, doesn't it? The eyeball that saw the cater. Ah! You know, who wants to go to that church? The ear, the church of the ear. Oh, we hear God. Well, what are you going to do about what you hear? See what I'm saying? We call, we think that's spiritual. That's not spiritual. It's narrow. It's shallow. You don't understand the word of God. But, but, but you see, but if we get together and we realize this resident God in us wants to live through us and we get our act together and we get in unity and one mind and one accord, then we begin to look like Jesus. And people that get around us, if I don't have what they need that day, you have what they need that day. And if my gift doesn't do it, your gift will do it. And if we get all together, they see Jesus. It's to, see, who we are together is bigger than who we are individually. And the end game is that they see Jesus. Okay, so, so we understand that. Because God arranged the parts. Look at that. The God has arranged the parts, verse 18, in the body. Every one of them. One more time, you got to tell the person next to you he's talking about you right now. Not When I say he, not me, God. God's talking about you. He arranged every one of them just as he wanted them to be. Look at verse 19. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is. There are many parts, but there's one body. Let's go to Acts 10.38. I didn't give my... Guys, this verse today, I'm sorry, I missed it. Acts 10, 38. Let's, let's go to this. Let's look at this. Man, I, I love the privilege of representing Jesus. What about you? Huh? Acts 10, 38. Let's look at this. I've read this verse before because I like it. <laughs> I like it. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a theme verse for me. It's a core value verse for Calvary, what we do. So I'm going to refer to it on a regular basis. It's what we do in our dream centers. It's what we do in our outreaches. So look at Acts 10, 38. Let, let's think about this, guys. Come on, let's be honest. How do we represent Jesus? Well, we do what he did. Would that be correct? If I represent him, then I, 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 we, I, I do what he did. I present him, okay? That means a representative, a witness. Acts 10, 38. Now, how did Jesus do what we're about to read? How God, what? Anointed. Okay, this whole thing begins with the anointing, the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're not the answer. God in us is the answer. Does everybody understand that? God with us. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? The Holy Spirit and power. Now, what happens to an anointed person? See, some people think the anointing is only for Sunday morning. They, they, some people in a religious mind live like the devil Monday through Saturday and come to church and act like Jesus on Sunday. The anointing doesn't live in a building. The anointing lives in us. Do, do we understand this? So, so what do anointed Holy Spirit people do? Okay, let's read this. What do he do? He went around doing good. Now, the church hasn't done enough of that. Go around doing good. We, we, we've been taught that, to be, that church is what, it, it, where we come, not who we are. We've been taught that church is a Sunday thing, not a lifestyle thing. How many are with me right now? So, so we just, see, we know how to have church. We haven't been taught how to be the church. 
So, so our measure has been uh, what happened on Sunday. Did we shout, well, yeah, we shouted. I said, well, not, yeah, okay. Did, did, did we shout? Did we shout? Did I get a goosebump? Did I get a feeling? Is anybody with me? We learned how to have church, but we didn't learn how to be the church. So we need to go, we need, nobody should be nicer than the church. Nobody should do more good things than the church. Nobody should feed more hungry people than the church. Nobody should clothe more people that need clothes than the church. Is anybody with me? Nobody should be do good better than we do good. But if that's where it stops, that's not enough. How many understand this? But most of the religious Christianity today put a period there on that verse. They just do good. Good's good. Good's better than bad. But that's not all Jesus did and was. So let's keep reading how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth through the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good. And, oh, that wasn't the end of the verse. And, what else? Healing all who were under the power of the devil. Man, because God was with him. Now, if we stop presenting the power of God to heal and deliver, we have not represented Jesus adequately. How many understand that? This isn't a Sunday thing. This is a lifestyle thing. Stay with me, guys. He healed those who were under the power of the devil. Why? Why? Look at this phrase. Because what God was with him. Do you know that everywhere you go, because of the resident God, God is with you. God's with you. God's with you. See, if we do good only, that might have a natural explanation. Are you with me? That might have a natural explanation. But if we do good and heal those who are under the power of the devil, then that's a supernatural explanation. That's the only explanation. So what happens? Are you with me? We go around doing good and healing those under the power of the devil. Why? Because God is with us. God is with us. Church family, we we need to understand what this resident God means and how he wants to live through our lives. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 12 here. Wait, we're we're reading. I want to back up. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12. Now look at verse 1, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. We, I, I've just touched this last week. I want us to continue to work on this. The body of Christ, representing him, doing what he did, being who he is, doing good, doing good. We, do you know it's a shame that there's ever been a church split? How many understand that? Do you know any church that ever had a fight big enough inside the family for somebody to leave? People weren't forgiving each other. People weren't being kind to each other. People weren't walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Somebody wasn't big enough to say, I'm sorry, let's sit down and talk before we act crazy. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? Do you know, do you know there's never been a church split that should have split? Huh? Because we're a family. We're the body of Christ. How can you ever say, well, you know what? I, I, I'm just going to cut my arm off today. They give you counseling for that, right? I'm just going to saw my leg off. Now, there's sometimes there are things that happen that, that, that we have no control over, and if something's not godly, 
there, there are ways, there are godly ways we do things, but the ungodliness of ugliness and fighting and arguing and bickering in the name of God is not representing Jesus to this world. How many understand that? It doesn't mean that some pastor stands up and dominates a congregation and people are in fear because of those things. That's wrong. It's love that makes unity and the grace of God operate. How many are with me? You know who I really pastor in this church? I pastor those who choose to let me be their pastor. Not those who are afraid of me or who I dominate or who I guilt or twist arms. I'm the pastor to anybody who gives me the privilege to be their pastor. That's who I pastor in this church. Not somebody that had to be, forced to be. You know, you understand? Is that clear enough? I know that's kind of scary language, but that's the truth. That's, that's how it works. So look at this. So how do we present him? Kindness, goodness, but let's, let's go on. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now about spiritual gifts, I told you the word, it's one word in the Greek, charismata. Charis is the root word for grace. Isn't grace wonderful? So the gifts of grace, how do these spiritual gifts operate? Because I'm holier than someone else? Because I've been saved longer than someone else? Because something that I earn, no, these come through the grace of God. The grace that saved you is a grace that allows Jesus to live his life through you, okay? Let's go to verse 7. So look at this list. This isn't all the Holy Spirit does, but this is some of what he does. And this is important in representing Christ. Church, we need to understand that the church isn't taught this anymore. It's just like it's, these pages have been torn out. Okay? Now to each one, we talked about that last week, each one. That's pretty inclusive. The manifestation, the shining forth of the resident God in you. Okay? The manifestation. How does God live through us? He gives us a list. And it's given, why? For the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit to another faith, by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing, by that one Spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them. Remember, He arranges the body as He chooses. And He gives them to who? To each one just as he determines. It's God's plans, God's choice, but he's going to use all of us in some form or fashion. All right? I want you to say, God's going to use me. Say, God's going to use me in a greater way than I can imagine. Come on. Yes, he's going to do that. So I gave you the word of knowledge last week. Remember the, 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 a fact that God makes known to you in your heart that you could not know naturally. A word of knowledge. A fact given to you through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Everyone in the room available. Remember he did that to the lady at the well of Samaria? And that one fact changed her life. She told the village and the whole village got saved over one gift of the Holy Spirit operating. One thing. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. Let me, let me show you another one. Discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits. You know, every once in a while I hear somebody say, well, uh, uh, Acts 16, go to Acts 16. I've heard people say, well, I, I, I'm afraid, Pastor. How do I know this is a God miracle or a devil miracle? How will I know if it's of God or the flesh? What if it's the flesh? I, I'm just afraid of spiritual gifts. I'm not going to go to a church where, they, where the spiritual gifts operate. I, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to stick my head in the sand. Now, listen, I've always told you I'm not trying to be crass, but if you stick your head in the sand, 
there's a big target sticking up for the devil. That's all I'm saying. So listen, that's probably not the answer, how you figure things out in life. So you say, I'm not going to get around the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Whoa, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to stay away from that. Well, you know what? If you're never around the genuine move of God, how will you know what's a false move of God? If you're afraid of being deceived, then you better find the genuine and get to know it well so the counterfeit doesn't interact in your life. See, watch this. This is discerning of spirits. What is that gift? To know what spirit motivated an act. That's pretty important, isn't it? Wouldn't you need to know what's going on? The Bible says in the last days there are going to be deceiving spirits. Jesus said in the last days some people are going to claim to be the Messiah. How do we know what's going on? We have gifts of the Holy Spirit. God is working through His church to present Christ. Look at this. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Watch this. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, this is the first time the gospel went into Europe. They're in, Mas- they're in Philippi. First time the gospel went into Europe. Watch this. And what did the devil immediately try to do? Watch this. The devil knows if he can't stop the church, he wants to confuse the church. If he can't stop the church, he wants to latch on to something. So watch this. Acts sixteen sixteen. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit... By which she predicted the future. Who are you calling on the phone? Who are you asking to tell you what happened or what's going to happen? Who's looking at your palm? I can tell you who's looking at your palm. D-E-V-I-L. D-E-M-O-N. Well, it came through my family. Well, somebody better stop that coming through the family. My grand-aunt Susie, she... mm, I'm sorry. Somebody needs to tell you the truth. So watch this. She had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now, does God have the gift of prophecy? Are there prophets? Yes. So I'm not surprised that the devil has a counterfeit. But if you don't know the prophet... And you've never heard a prophecy. How are you going to know when the devil's talking if you don't know when God's talking to you? We need to just get real with this stuff and stop playing church. So she had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now watch this. She earned a great deal of money for her owners, for her fortune telling. You mean, Pastor, to tell me there are demons and devils? Yes, there are. Have you read your Bible? This girl followed Paul. Now watch this. And the rest of us shouting. Now what did she do? This girl is possessed of a demonic spirit. But look at the manifestation. Watch this. Look, listen to what she said. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She was telling the truth. But with a demonic motive. Now a lot of people... Sh- sh- so short-sighted, they would have hired her to be the PR leader for their crusade coming up in town. Hey, did you hear her? See that old ego cocked up. Did you hear her? She's walking around talking about us. We're servants of the Most High God. We're going to tell you the truth. Hey, let's hire her. She's local. Let's put her on our PR staff. Promote the crusade coming in. She got a nice loud voice and people know who she is. Hmm. So, so, so uh, she kept this up for many days. See, Paul, 
Paul said, I hear what you're saying, but something's not right. You get me? See, listen, you, listen I'm going to tell you something. You might need discerning of spirits before you lock on the internet next time and go looking for a match. Maybe this isn't church stuff. Oh, you mean this might just go home with you. And so there you are. I'm going to find me a boyfriend. Get you a glamour shot. Hey, from when you were in high school. Well... Sir, you're telling a lie, and they're telling a lie. Nobody's got any idea what the truth is, and you get a match. <laughs> he looks good. He sounds good. So did that demon. So did that demon. But Paul said, you know, uh, something's not right. Something's not right. I hear what you're saying. Are you with me? I hear what you're saying, but something's not right. See, sometimes it's got to go beyond what I hear. And I've got to hear. So watch this. Verse 18. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled. It wasn't what she said that troubled him. It was the spirit behind it. Do you understand what I'm saying? A discerning of the spirit. The spirit of the resident God in you was tapping. Hey, hey, hey. Something wrong. Hey, hey. The next time you get troubled, you might want to tap the brake. Say, whoa, 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 whoa. Why am I troubled? See? And so, look at this. <laughs> that he turned around and said to whom? Right. Not the girl. The spirit. What did he say? He said, look at this. He turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Boom. She fell down like dead. People got mad, threw them in jail because they lost their money. You say, well, I don't want to get thrown in jail. Watch out. Read the rest of the chapter. See, this is the awesome God we serve. They put them in jail, locked them up, put them in the dungeon. Midnight, Paul and Silas said, you know what? Your back hurt. Yeah, my back hurt. These chains hurt. Yeah, they hurt. Was this fair? No, it wasn't fair. What are we going to do? Let's just do a little praise time. They're praising him at midnight, beaten and lied on. And the Bible says the earth shook. Listen, the earth can't handle, are you going to stay with me? The lies and rejection and the falsehood on a man or woman of God. The devil may put you in a prison, but he's never made one that God can't break you out of. And when you go in there for the truth, just tell the truth. 
Just discern the spirit. Just go with God. It may seem for the moment that you're losing, but before the sun comes up the next day, weeping may come for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And the prison broke open, and there was such a move of God. Come on. Have you ever seen a jail come open at night and nobody run for the hills? All the prisoners sat down and said, we're right here. Listen, they said, I would rather stay in prison and meet the God that's in your life than run out of this place a free man on the outside and a bound man on the inside. And the jailer got saved and his family got saved. And another revival happened. Why? Because the Spirit of God that lives in you told you, don't listen to that. One gift of the Holy Spirit can start a revival in a prison, in a town, in a high school, at Intergraph, in Research Park, on the job site, in Decatur General, Huntsville Hospital, wherever you live, our God is bigger, able, mighty, glorious. He can do his thing. Represent him. Represent him. I wish I could give you one on all nine of these. It's God. It's who he is. It's who he is. It's who he is. It's who he is. So he gives you word of knowledge. Here's a fact. Word of wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. Here's what you do with that supernatural fact. He gives gifts of healing, miracles, supernatural faith. Not faith you had to fight for. Faith the Holy Spirit deposits inside of you. At a critical moment, we, when we're gathered as believers, these three primarily happen when we gather a, an utterance in tongues, not my prayer life, not my prayer language that I pray at home when I talk to God, but God's got a message for the church. And when that tongues comes, it's always accompanied by the interpretation of tongues so that we're edified. The word of prophecy comes. It doesn't mean that you're always foretelling the future. There is a prophet. There is the office of prophet. And God can speak about tomorrow. But this gift primarily is a prophetic gift which edifies, exhorts, and builds up the church and comforts us. So what happens? It's just a fourth telling. Not always a foretelling, but a word comes from God. And we're built up by that. Don't we want God to talk to us? Don't we want the Holy Spirit to tell me what I don't know? Go where I want go? Listen, let me, let me kind of bring it together. This is Palm Sunday. And the Bible tells us that on his way to Jerusalem, one, one of the last things we read about before he walked in for that triumphal entry, that's Palm Sunday, they waved the branches. They threw their cloaks on the ground. It was his entry into the last week of his earthly life. And, and, and as he's coming in, there was celebration. And the Bible says the whole city was stirred and shook up and rattled. And why? Luke says because they were worshiping for the miracles that he has done. They were telling everybody. And the last stop on the way before he arrived there for the triumphal entry was on his way coming out of Jericho, walking down to Jerusalem and on his way out there were two blind men standing there kneeling there and they said Jesus is coming and this man says that's him that's the one we've been hearing about and so one guy watches and one guy gets hungry and he starts saying Jesus have mercy on me and you know all the religious people said you need to be quiet 
You need to act right. See, if people don't know what you've been through, they're never going to understand your breakthrough. <laughs> you know, there, there's some people, some people don't have any discernment. If anybody shouts in church, at that church, they think it's a demon. <laughs> Somebody gets blessed. Oh, oh, oh what, what's that? They're just blessed. It's all right. You know, again, if you don't know what they've been through, you won't understand their breakthrough. So this guy's yelling, help me. Be quiet. Help me. Be quiet. All the louder. Help me. Jesus. He stopped. Jesus will always stop when you're sincere. And, he, and, and the Bible says, bring him to me. And the man gets up off the ground like this. He's got this coat. He says, here, I don't need this anymore. Come over here. Why did he do that? Well, we understand from the culture that beggars were certified or licensed just like a business license in that day. And, and the government had to approve them to beg for alms. Their cloak was their right to beg. That man jumped up before he could ever see and threw his license to beg down, got rid of his identity, said, I don't need this anymore because I'm not going to be a beggar anymore. I'm about to get my eyesight. I'm about to see. Jesus said, what do you want? I want to see. Now watch this. So what happened? Luke Luke tells us that as he goes into Jerusalem, they were shouting hallelujah because of his miracle. We find that the whole city was stirred. And we find that as he began to ride the donkey in, they covered the road with their cloaks. Why did they do that? Because the blind, ex-blind man was with them. And his testimony said, I was blind, but now I see. What I did, I had a beggar identity. But when Jesus called me, I got rid of it. And so they said, hey, you know, hey, hey, that man threw his cloak down and God healed him. He said, I don't need where I've been. And they said, well, 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 hey, come on. I don't need mine anymore. Come on, Jesus. And the next man said, I'm giving mine up. And they threw it down. So I don't need it anymore. Come on, Jesus. And he kept coming in and testimony after testimony after testimony paved the way for a miracle to come into the town and I'm going to tell you something come on let's stand everybody stand if you if you and I will begin to represent him the testimony will go before us and before us and before us I want to see North Alabama stirred by Jesus but you and I have the testimony you and I are the ones that represent him not by might Not by power, but by his spirit. Now, I know what I'm talking about is dangerous to religion. (laughs) I know that what I'm teaching you, if you just want to come to church and punch your go-to-heaven card in case you pass away between Sundays, that this is risky preaching. I know that if you just want to come to church and somebody tickle your ears... And tell you, I'm okay, you're okay. Or tell you, all this church needs is your money. Or to say, what we do on Sunday is all that matters. But I just can't do that because it's not true. We have to represent Jesus on Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And I would like to believe I do believe that God can so use us and our children and our junior high students and our high school students 
that without laws being passed, listen to me, but by the influence of his presence, listen, I'm going to make a radical statement. I believe the church is supposed to become the new architect of the culture of this nation. How do you, what, do you, what do you mean by that? I mean that if we can carry his presence to the degree that God would be pleased, holiness, righteousness. Listen, you see blind people start seeing, the fear of God comes on that moment. The holiness of God comes on that moment. people that are addicted and bound and set free by the hand of God. God, could you do it for me? Could you do it for my children? Diseases that are the result of sin, STDs, the ravages of sin, eradicated by the power of God. You can begin to rewrite culture. You can begin to shift the atmosphere in a region. That's why we're here. We're not here just to make it through the night. We're not here just to crip along to next Sunday. We're here to affect this place, impact this region. Not because, Pastor Joy said it, not because they have to, because they've come hungry. What we carry, single moms cried themselves to sleep last night, wondering if it's true. I told you last week, atheists don't believe in God, but they sure do miss Him. They just don't know what they're looking for. And I don't want to argue with the atheists. I don't want to argue with the evolutionists. I want to represent Jesus so big that the argument's all over with. (laughs) I I, I want the atheists to get healed of cancer, and then, what are you going to do about that? What, what, What do you say to that? You might back up and believe, well, you know, I, there just may be a God. So maybe the people we thought of our enemy might actually be our target. Our greatest opportunities for the kingdom to come. And what if on this Palm Sunday, our, our testimonies, what if there's some things we could lay down fear and, 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 and stop living with the what if it doesn't happen and start saying, ooh, what if it does? Come on, let's get up and go. Let's get up and go. Let's get up and go. Let's just get up and go. Maybe sometime we have to get to that place and say, I'm either going to look really stupid or this is going to be big time for God. I'm going to, hey, hey, I might lose my lunch ticket. I, I, I might lose my privilege to beg, but I might meet Jehovah Jireh, the provider of everything I'll ever need. I just don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> I want us to invite him in. Let's invite him in. Would you invite him to go with you to work in the morning? Would you invite him to go home with you today? Let's stop leaving God in the building. He lives in us. Oh, God. Oh, God. I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, you, come on, man. I never pray for anybody, Pastor. You don't have to do all the churchy stuff. Just say, could we pray? Could we pray? I used to thought when I was a young pastor, 
would encounter people demon possessed I thought I had to out yell and out wrestle the demon I was a sight to behold I'd be hoarse at the end of it hollering yelling wrestling fighting and despite my ignorance God still cast the demon out but I realize now I'm just the conduit I don't have to yell and wrestle I just look that demon in the face like Jesus did say in the name of Jesus when I say that name my God help him. my God <laughs> Jesus 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 walk in work tomorrow you don't have to shout for everybody to hear see because our battles not with flesh and blood right so you're gonna bring Jesus in the demons are doing their thing listen you got to whisper in the front door. Walk in and say, Jesus. Every demon in that building is going, whoa. Walk in your house today. They may be yelling and fussing and cussing. Just walk in and say, Jesus. Walk in your schoolroom tomorrow, kids, and say, Jesus.